for another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things from the Carl Chevrolet Studios in Ankeny. The last regular season episode of Football and Random Things, which this really isn't regular season, but we're talking about a regular season game. That's what I was meaning. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, uh, regular season recap. Regular last season. regular season recap. Final final regular season recap. The 2019 20, season. Of 2000. Final regular season recap of the decade. Of the decade, yeah. Of the teens. It's a, it's a historic day. It is a historic day. I'll say that in the coming weeks, we will be having a... Uh, we'll be putting out our Cyclone Fanatic All-Decade teams for football and basketball. You'll, actually, be, you'll be on the panel of uh, voters. It's actually just Joel Lanning at every position. Yes. He's playing. He's the All-Decade guard, cornerback, uh, quarterback, linebacker. Punter. Punter. I would say that if the Cyclones had had 25 Joel Lannings on each of their teams... The decade might have been considerably better. I agree. I mean, the end of the decade was obviously good, but in the beginning of the decade was good. The middle, the middle, part, the middle of the decade was thir- a little... From like 13 to 16 wasn't, uh, wasn't as fun. Yeah, as, not, not uh, very as, fun. The, as the 11 or the 10 to 12, fun. Yeah. 17 to now, fun. 13 to 16, very not fun. Very not fun. It's a big swell or big swoon, excuse me, in the middle of... Uh, just just real bad football in there. Yeah. We, I was part of one of those teams, so I, I, I feel like I can say that. When they when it was a combined, what, 11 wins in, in four, four years? years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, 2013, I think we set the precedent of getting your ass whooped. We, we had... Uh, back, oh. It was the worst... We had the worst three-game stretch in it, the history of... Iowa, the storied history of Iowa State football. <laughs> having this, lost... Which is... Yeah, which is saying something. I think it was losses to... Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State. Uh, it was. Oh, that was the no clown question or the no stupid questions game. Yeah, Kansas State game. That was that was like forty-one to seven or something like that. I think but, that that Baylor game probably just would have made it bad no matter what. Uh, we don't need to relive that. We've relived that enough. Eric Heff's radio call from. The, I think what was, was it, it? Josh it was Coleman. John, yeah. Well, it was John. Um, yeah. We're, no, Eric said. Uh, well, it couldn't. Uh, it wasn't the worst loss. Yeah, well, and they then avoided the worst loss in school history. And then John, I think, wasn't he like audibly laughing as Baylor kicked the, returned the kickback? Well, I don't think he was laughing like it because it was funny. I think he was laughing because... Pure irony. Yeah, because of the fact that Eric said that and then he took the kickback for a touchdown and, and it was just like, oh, never mind. Take that back. <laughs> Speaking of returned kicks for touchdowns and losses to Kansas State... Yeah, it happened on Saturday. That was that was a dud. Yeah, and I, I said this on the Instant Reaction podcast that that was probably the most disappointed I'd been post game since since the last time they were at Kansas State, and that was more out of pure anger mm-hmm. than it was out of. I mean, I that that game on Sun on Saturday, I was sitting there afterwards and I was like, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Yeah, you know, uh, it's like the like a dad thing. Mm-hmm. It was, it was just a dud of a game yeah. in all three aspects. Uh, and, and I don't really know why like that. I, 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 there was wind. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Which when in comparing the two styles, wind affects Iowa state more because Kansas state doesn't really want to r- throw the ball at yeah. all. Like they want to run it and they want to run it with their quarterback and they want to run it with the running back and they want to, they want to play pro style come downhill football. Right. 
So wind really, again, schematically affects Iowa State more, but that doesn't really matter. Like, it, yeah. you're from Iowa. It's not, wind and cold is really not something that's foreign. Those of us who names Iowa know about wind. Yeah, and it's not foreign to being able to pr- practice in that, to right. prepare in that, to understand what's going to happen. Um, there are drops. Like, Tariq Milton had two really easy drops that he never drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Petway think had one. Michael Petway had one. Um, it would, Brees Hall had one. Like they were just, they, it, they were out of sorts. And yeah. I, I genuinely don't know where that came from. Um, but the, and so now they're sitting on, uh, and we kind of texted after the game of just what, what this sort of means for Iowa State. And now they're up in the limbo of waiting for, I mean, granted, you would be up in the limbo of waiting for what happened in the, in the Pac 12 championship and the Big 12 championship uh, to see, who gets the playoff spot and where you kind of rank. Right. But if you were to you were to have won, you're sitting between Orlando and San Antonio. Those are the two to sit, two spots where you would have gone had you won. Now you're sitting between Memphis and Phoenix. Are your two very likely destinations? They're all f- between Houston, Orlando, Memphis, and Phoenix, they're all on the table. I was going to say, I think that in theory, Theoretically, they could probably end, end up in... Somewhere they else, could but. they could all be in those four, but I think logically you're probably between Memphis and Phoenix. Yeah, and so they lost their way between being Orlando and San Antonio to now being likely Memphis Phoenix, which the only way I that, have a defined preference of where they go. Right. Well, and I think the only way that that it ends up being somewhere besides Memphis or Phoenix would be uh, if, which this would be crazy if this happened, would be if Oregon won beat Utah in the Pac-12 title game, which would not be insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oregon is a very good team. When uh, I think Baylor, when they, I don't know, when the rankings come out. That's uh, what I'm interested to see is how, where are those two teams at? Because Baylor beat the bejesus out of Kansas. And Kansas, yeah. I think because of what they did to Iowa State, will get a little bit, that that win is less laughable. Yeah. Um, because of them competing with many of the other teams in the conference. So Kansas, or Baylor, just beating the bejesus out of Kansas will probably get a little bit of respect to being like, okay, they are... They're not Minnesota. Right. Well, and I didn't watch that game, but it sounded like it sounded like that was just a complete disaster for Kansas from like the opening kick. From what I understood, I I only I mean, read sixty-one very, to six only gets yeah you well, only get there with complete disasters. Well, and I and and it was like the they had they threw some interceptions or something like right off the bat where it was like the Baylor over. was able to get up twenty-one nothing like, like almost seconds. yeah and yeah. almost immediately and so that's kind of what I, I but regardless. If Oregon beats Utah, and that's a two-loss Utah and two-loss two Oregon, two-loss they're out. And you know. now, and if we're looking at the other teams, so really prospectively, and and I feel like we can get into this more. I feel like we should take a break right away, um, and then we'll get our get into this kind of what the 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 outcome of that means going forward. Yeah, we can do that. Let's do that at the end. We'll talk. I want to talk about this football game, the Kansas okay. State Iowa State game first. So we'll do that when we come back on football and random things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. <laughs> Welcome back to the Carl Chevrolet Studios. It's football and random things. All right, so after the game, when I was doing the instant reaction, I was looking at all the statistics, and I think I was able to boil down the game to basically like a couple numbers that I think were very crucial. You give me your numbers that you think are crucial and disgusting, and I will give you mine that I think are crucial and disgusting. Okay, so the first one, uh, I want to pull it up to know for for certain, but, um, it was third downs. 
Yep. But this is, but it, there's kind of a, a, a way I, I had of explaining this for why it uh, was especially bad. And that is, um, and it kind of boils into to several numbers. Iowa State went one of 13 on third down. Uh, that's the, the first piece of it. Which is 7%. Which is 7%. Um, Not good. Especially they, when Kansas State is 50% right. on third downs. The thing that was disheartening to me is that they averaged something like... 9.8 yards to gain. Yeah, and they, but they averaged something like 5.4 yards per, per play on first down. And then still had 9.8 yards to gain on third down, mm-hmm. which is like, that's where I think you can take into, uh, into consideration the eight penalties that they had that really set them back. And, and their second of, down and was I think horrible. Six, I think six of those were false starts. Exactly. Um, uh, so, yeah, there were 9.8 yards to gain on their average third down distance, and they only averaged gaining 1.8, which is really not that surprising considering most of those long down and distances you know, your third and 13s, which they were in at thir- they were third and nine plus six times, which is not good. And if your average is 9.8 and you have six of 13 being longer than 10 yards, that means your third downs, you had six, probably six of those third downs were 13 plus in order to bring that average from middle distance up. So you probably had six third and 13s plus, mm-hmm. which in a game like that, that has that much wind, there is no way that you're going to be offensively successful when you are that far behind the chains. And it was, um, it, it was weird because when you look at the final statistics for like Brees, they weren't good, no. but he didn't play poorly. Right. I mean, Brees played well. And I think, I don't, I don't know. I felt like the tackles didn't had kind of a between Julian and Meeker. I thought they didn't have a, their best games, but the interior line didn't play poorly. Right. It was just, there were false starts all over the place. There were, for whatever reason, drops all over the place. There were, somebody missed some cut somewhere. Somebody missed some route somewhere. It was, it was just discombobulated. And again, it was, I think there is, there is some credit to be given to Kansas State for getting Iowa State out of where they, out of the rhythm that they wanted to be given. Right. But also, I think a lot of that lies in Iowa State. Another thing is, you know, we mentioned with the Kansas game, I don't think, I, I don't know if I actually said this on the podcast or if it was just in conversation with other people. The Kansas game, the, there's an expression, burn the tape, which is once it's behind you, you know how bad it was. There's really not much you can learn because you know all the lessons you should take from it. You need to approach it better. You need to practice better. You need to play better. You need to have more focus. All of those things need to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't think Kansas was necessarily a burn the tape game because they, there were things you can specifically learn from Kansas state. This one to me offensively is a burn the tape game. Like it was bad. We know it was bad. Get rid of it. And potentially there are some things you can learn in the offensive line, but like drop passes, you don't need to watch film yeah. to know, just catch the ball to not drop passes. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the ball longer. No, that you don't need to watch film to do that. You don't need to, you don't need to watch film to know, to not jump off sides. Right. There's no, there's no film that's going to teach you to get rid of the stupid mistakes that Iowa state had. So to me, this is a burn the tape game. See, and then, so four of the, yeah, from, yeah, four of the, the false starts came in horrible spots where the first one is, is on Iowa state's first drive. You've got it at the Kansas state 39 yard line. It's fourth and three. 
and you jump off sides, false start. All of a sudden it's fourth and eight, you got to punt. Uh, and the next one at the Kansas State 28, uh, I think that Iowa State maybe ended up scoring on this drive. Was, I think they're probably their first drive of the second quarter. Uh, but it's first and 10 at the Kansas State 28, false start, first and 15 now. Uh, then you get first and 10 just on your first drive of the second half. First and 10 at the Iowa State 25, false start. God, now it's first and 15. You're starting behind the eight ball again mm-hmm. to start the second half. After you had all the momentum in at, coming out of halftime. Yep. Uh, and then you've got it at the first and 10 at the Iowa State 36, false start, right to start the fourth quarter. Again, the game was still tied, if I remember correctly at that point. And that's what I'm saying is it's like on these first and 10s, then all of a sudden it's first and 10, you're behind the chains already. And, you know, you've got still three plays, but man, it's tough in that situation when you're only averaging three something yards per carry and you were having a hell of a time even trying to be able to, to throw the ball around because Brock didn't seem like himself at times either. Mm-hmm. Against that defense, that's allowed what? What'd they say? 15 third down conversions in the entire season going to the game? Some crazy-ass yeah, number? it was like 30, 35 or something like that conversions on the entire season on yeah, third down. Like the best, number, the best third down defense in college football. And all of a sudden, now you're going to be in third and long every time you have third down. Good luck. And it was... It was, I mean, this, this is what Iowa State is going to expect to face when you play Kansas State for the next 30 years. Yeah. For as long as Chris Kleiman's there, which he seems like he's going to be a lifer. Like, I don't know what his dream job is, but I don't think it can be far from Kansas State. No. Like, it's the exact culture that he would want to, you know, imbue everything with is just be there. And... When you watch North Dakota State play, we saw it firsthand when I was when North Dakota State beat Iowa State back in the day, uh, back in that again the, the the swoon between thirteen and sixteen. It's you better capitalize on every single one of your offensive opportunities, otherwise you are going to not have the ball for another six minutes, regardless of the outcome of the drive. Like you might Kansas State might punt, but they're going to take six minutes off the clock and they're going to get it down to the forty yard line. Then they're going to punt it. Maybe they kick it through the end zone and you get the ball on the twenty. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe they get it to the 10, whatever. Uh, field position-wise, Iowa State started out generally pretty well. Kansas State didn't. But time of possession, they got rocked again. And that's what you're going to expect against Kansas State, which is fine. Because Kansas State is a team that's not meant to play from behind. Yeah, They're not meant to play explosive catch-up. So if you're, if you're a team that can jump out to a lead or you can convert your opportunities and you're scoring in three, four minutes every single time you play and all of a sudden, or every single, every single time you get the ball or, or virtually every single time you get the ball and it's all of a sudden it's touchdown and then they plod themselves along and they have to punt and then touchdown. Then they plod themselves along and then touchdown. You're like, Oh shoot, we cannot catch up. We have to start playing out of our element. Yeah. And it, with being as bad on third down as Iowa state was, you're punting it back to the team that is just going to take six more minutes off the clock, which then puts more internal stress on the team which then makes the problem worse, which then you punt it back, which makes the problem worse. And then you punt it back and it makes the problem worse. And then the defense, which for the most part in the first half didn't play awful. They, were, they weren't great, but they weren't awful. Then by the time the end of the, the, the game rolled around, they'd been on the field for a half an hour going into that final drive. And what are you going to do? I mean, you've, this Kansas State offensive line, 
they magically have five, you know, they always have like five senior starters and all of them are 330 pounds. And that line just wears on you and wears on you and wears on you. And all of a sudden you now have to come up with stops that are at critical moments, but you've been leaned on by this offensive line the entire time. It's exactly what Chris Kleiman wanted. That is the Kansas state MO other than turning the ball over twice. That's exactly what you could draw up. If you were Chris Kleiman to get what you wanted. Seeing and that's what's crazy, especially early on in the game. I mean, they were this is this is to I mean, we've completely not even acknowledged the fact, I mean, you did in the first segment that you give up a touchdown on the opening kick, which puts you like again behind the eight ball from literally the second the game starts. Mm-hmm. And uh but then you still Iowa State started at second drive at the Kansas State 41 after a great punt by Joe Rivera, I should add. Mm-hmm. Uh you start your third drive at the Iowa State 45. You started in Kansas State territory during the game. One, two, three, four different times. And on those four times, you punted, punted. Or wait, yeah, you, you punt and then score one touchdown. And then you punt and then you kick a field goal. And two of those came off of turnovers. turnovers and that was a, a fumble that you recover in, in Kansas State territory that you end up punting three plays later, mm-hmm. which had a had, a, a, false start a, had a false start involved in it. And then after the interception, you do kick a field goal, which was a great kick by Connor Sally. I uh, also should mention with that wind, mm-hmm. that was a tough kick. And, yeah. and he did a very good job of being able to, to handle that. But when you, when you get those opportunities against that team, kicking field goals ain't going to win you a game. Nope. It's not. And that, that was what was so frustrating to me. Where, you know, this, this team that was one of the top teams in the country and not going three and out, you go three and out six times. Mm-hmm. You've gone three and out 15 times in the entire season, then you do it six times in one game. You ain't going to win. Well, you ain't going to win. And it was, again, it was peculiar because you could always cons- count on some kind of consistency from the Iowa State offense. Yeah. That they were just going to do something. And that something really never materialized. You know, there were a few... Uh, like RPO passes that were one, I think one was to Milton, one was to Shaw for the touchdown. There were a few RPOs, um, that were really successful, but there really wasn't any one thing that you could kind of be like, all right, well, let's go back to Charlie or let's go back to Brees or let's go back to Deshante or let's go back to something. There was just no thing that you could kind of consistently get on. And that's why I said, like, I, I feel like it was just a burn the tape game. Um, another thing that, and this is what I kind of wrote my, my register piece on was how uh, I think this game and last game illustrate the importance of Greg Eisworth and having a Greg Eisworth healthy. Yeah. Because in the first six games and I, I, I am, it's in the, it's in the piece, but I think Iowa state gave up like 1.1, 3.3, 2.5, maybe five yards a carry against ULM. Uh, and then like 3.3 and 3.3 of yards per carry the first six games, something to that effect, where it was in the ones, twos, or threes and yards per carry in the first six games when Eisworth was either healthy or was hadn't accumulated a totality of hits on that shoulder so he could still play physical. Uh, West Virginia and Texas Tech, he was sort of sparingly playing. Um, and so those were a little bit higher. I think it was like 3.6 or something like that. But then the back half of the season, when just the accumulation of hits had forced him into playing either a different position and tra- essentially trading positions with Lauren, Lawrence White or having him to have to back off. Like against Oklahoma, you saw it in one of Jalen Hurts' rushing touchdowns. He went to hit him and then had to just peel off because his, he couldn't use that arm. Right. Well, and Eisworth, 
the way that they play him is essentially as a counter to Mike Rose. So he, I think, is it star? Is that his position? Yeah. So yeah. the star position or whatever hybrid something you want to call Greg Eisworth or whoever's playing that position. Um, Rose is going to play in space, usually to the strong side. Um, so what somewhere between the tight end, if there's a tight end on that side or the tackle to the tack on that side and the receiver Rose is going to play in the space between them, that kind of alley space. Eisworth is going to play in the space on the other side between them. And we talked about it against Texas when Lawrence white was so good against Texas Mike Rose was equally as good on the other side, which is why they were able to stop the run because they pinched down. They both played really good edge defense and turned the ball back to help. And if it, if it did try and get outside because of where they fit themselves in, the running back had to bubble back around, which let the rest of the defense get there. So those two guys played really, really well. Um, that was really Lawrence White's best game, which to his credit, he's playing out of position in the other ones. He's not, he's a deep safety. He's not an uh, and in the box is kind of safe. So he played out of his mind against Texas. And then, but the, for, to come back to the statistical point, if you look at the yards per carry, and I think CFB reference has these statistics listed out. Um, if you look at the back six games, it's like four yards per carry, four yards per carry. Texas is the anomaly down at like 1.2 or something like that yeah. or two and a half. And then five yards per carry and five yards per carry and four and a half yards per carry, whatever it was like you're averaging in the fours and fives when Eisworth has started to get that when his, his shoulder was not able to be physical because that defense is built around guys doing their job really, really well. Yeah. And Eisworth does his job really, really well when he's able to do his own job. But right now he is playing, he's playing Lawrence White's position and Lawrence White is playing his position. And they, and I think on Saturday, because Kansas state plays a little bit heavier, they tried to have Marcel Spears play out in that. And he was still probably playing his will linebacker spot, but they put him out there uh, to play, that star and they put Hummel in to play linebacker to try and add more bodies in there. But that's not Marcel Spears natural position. He's not seen it very much. He's been more in, in the box. So they just couldn't find any real consistent edge defense. And again, that's the same case with Kansas, the same case against Kansas state is that Eisworth has not been able to do that job. And Kansas state found that, uh, you know, for, for metaphorically, what I'm thinking of is if you find a pressure point, in, you know, in a, a jujitsu match or MMA fight or whatever, if you find a weakness, you don't do anything other than exploit that weakness. If you find a pressure point, you push on it hard until they crack. And I, or Kansas State, by the end of that second half, they found that pressure point, which was after running up the gut and running up the gut and running up the gut, those guys pinched in too fast, weren't playing as physical or not as physical, weren't playing as technically sound as they needed to. And everything bounced in the second half. Everything ran off tackle because those guys weren't hitting where they needed to. If Eisworth were to have been healthy throughout the entire season, that's where he would have been is playing that space position that causes containment or causes someone to bubble back. And I'm going to give you a statistic that will probably rank among the most ridiculous that we've seen against Iowa state in at least the last three years. In the fourth quarter, Kansas State ran 17 plays for 107 yards of total offense. What, 16 of those 17 were runs? All 17 of them were runs. They did not attempt a pass in the mm -hmm. fourth quarter. And not it's, one. It's going back to that. If you find a pressure point, I think Bill Belichick, um, when I was, I was watching the, the Patriots-Texans on Sunday night, um, 
and they did like a little mini interview for their series they're doing with him. And he talked about Sun Tzu as the, you know, if you find a, you can't win a, we can't win a game by digging a hole. You have to win a game by attacking and you attack the weakness of your opponent. While Kansas State, again, to go back to that saying, whether it's jujitsu or MMA or boxing or something like that, if you have one specific weakness that you have found, you are going to knife that weakness until that other person cannot, either they adjust completely or they crumble. One of those two things happens. And all of, not all of those, the predominance of those runs were C-gap runs. It was power to the outside or it was going to be a sweet play that got into the alleyway because where Greg Eisworth would be fitting if he was healthy is right there. So they had to find somebody else to try and do the job that he normally does and they just weren't able to find someone that does it as effectively. And again, to the defense's credit, they were on the field a really, 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 really long time. 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. And it's really hard against that style offense. I mean, that's, they, they play a very similar style of football to Iowa, which is not flashy. It's if you can beat them, if you can beat somebody else with this, it's a really hard system to stop. If you can't, it's going to get you back. It's going to backfire pretty hard. Um, but when you are running it effectively, it's that, again, wear them down. Eventually, by the end of the game, you're going to be more fatigued than we are because the offensive line is going to be coming downhill at you the entire game. So to the defense's credit, they were on the field a lot. To their discredit, they didn't fit particularly well, even when no. they, you know, in the, the third quarter after they'd had halftime to rest, they still didn't fit p- particularly well. But complimentary football goes both ways. Third quarter was actually their best quarter, 2.4 yards per carry. But still, that was they. That was because they didn't run. I don't. How many plays did Kansas State actually run? They ran 12 total plays in the third quarter. Right. So they just didn't have the ball much. Yeah. It was one of the. <laughs> well, no, what Iowa State averaged yards per play in the third quarter? Hmm. 0.8. Gross. 0.8. Gross. It's a very <laughs> fast game. Oh man. It's like the opposite of West Virginia basketball where you get a Kansas state game. You're like, all right, well let's be done in two hours. Well, yeah, I went to the, uh, I went to the Nebraska and Iowa game on Friday. It's uh, those things go quick. Big 10 games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You just run, 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 run. Right. And it's not like Nebraska really runs like that. I mean, they ran quite a bit on, on on Friday, but uh, when you just play against a team like that, man, they just clock, just that thing, that thing just, yeah. It, it goes real quick. All of a sudden, the game's over. Yeah. So it was, and again, comp, to, to complimentary football goes both ways, where if you are excelling on both sides of the ball, you feed on each other. When you're, when you're both doing poorly, it magnifies the problem. So it's complimentary poor football, where the offense was doing not well, which made the defense get back on the field. And then the offense does poorly and makes the defense get back on the field. And the offense does poorly, makes defense get back on the field. Eventually, defense has been on the field for, right. like we're talking about time, really a too, much, too long for them to have actually been there. Um, I think there is, this is also like one of the things where um, necessity is the father of invention. And I don't know if that's actually a phrase or if I butchered it, but the invention, excuse me, necessity is the father of invention. Um, the the coaching staff that Iowa state has, especially on the defensive side is very creative with coming up with something to solve a very specific problem. I think the very specific problem that has been illuminated in the back half of this season, other than the Texas game was if you don't have a a stud like Greg Eisworth or a stud that is going to be able to fill in that spot, like Willie Harvey or Mike Rose, like if you don't have a stud on either side, there's a kind of a fundamental flaw 
of this defense. And I think Jay wrote Jay about it. Jay has written about this a lot of times. Where it's that C-gap run, yeah. where if you're not fitting it perfectly, it's pretty vulnerable to that. I don't know what the solution for this is, but they do. They're, they're going to experiment through this throughout bowl season, I would bet. And they, depending on who they play during the bowl game, I bet they kind of test the feelers of like, what schemes can we use differently to try and fill this void? And then when they go to spring ball, is to try and to, to morph their defense a little bit. I, I bet they still keep mostly, mostly a three down because that's kind of what they've recruited to. Uh, guys like Will McDonald playing this kind of hybrid outside linebacker defensive end position, which that dude's a monster. I was just say, how good is that guy? Um, he's unstoppable. When he hits that dip, that he, hesitation dip. Yeah. He, he told us after the Texas game that the coaches consistently tell him that he could be the best pass rusher in the country. I think you saw why on Saturday. He's unstuck. He gets he, held every time. Yeah. Well, and when, even when he doesn't get held, if he doesn't get held, it's a sack. He, he's going to sack the quarterback. Yep. I mean, it's, it, it's like plain there's, simple. There's no, there's no kick step that uh, uh, an offensive tackle can get back with enough speed. And then all he has to do is develop a counter to that. Because really, and I'm not comparing him quite to this yet, but Dwight Freeney, first. His spin move. That spin move is a counter. It's not his primary move. His primary move was an up and under, or was that that speed rip over the top because Freeney was just more athletic than every offensive tackle. So early in his career, it was get straight up the field, make an offensive lineman kick like, holy cow, I, I have to get back now and go kick, 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 kick. And then as soon as you get him on your back heel, that's when he would hit that dirty spin move. I mean, it's that sig- that's his signature move. Reggie White would do the same thing. Right. It was just a strong arm. Like it's an inside move. I think Reggie White's strong arm and Dwight Freeney's spin are the two most impressive. And then Bruce Smith with his, because Bruce Smith was, the, was kind of the father of that upfield rip underneath to get outside the tackle. So you have those kind of, again, Reggie White's strong arm, inside strong arm and Dwight Freeney's spin move on the, like towards the inside. As soon as you get a, a tackle to panic and kick step so fast upfield that they're on their back heel, then you get something. Again, White pushed him by, Freeney spun by him to get underneath right. and get that tackle out of the way. So if he can, he, right now, uh, Will McDonald really has one move. It's, I'm faster than you and I can change my levels better than you. If he can develop a second move to that, because tackles are going to see number nine. They, there's a scouting report on him now, which is get up the field fast. And then if you, if you stop his initial charge, they can kind of just, he's, he's little. They can just kind of wait down on him. Right. But if he can develop an under move of some kind, a spin move, whether it's a strong arm or whether it's something, that dude is going to be unstoppable with how fast he gets off the line and how much he can change his level. He doesn't have to be big, but that, I mean, that pass right, it's guys like Frank Clark are guys that kind of come to mind because Frank Clark isn't huge. Miles Garrett. Miles, well, let's not. Well, yeah, or okay, uh, Von Miller. Von Miller, yeah, Von Miller's not huge as far as pass rushers. He's what, like 6'2", 240? And technically he's a left outside linebacker. Yeah, and so he's he's, uh, 240, considering all the offensive tackles in the the NFL are like 3'10". He's giving up 60, 70 pounds to every single one of them. But his speed and his level change is what makes him so good as he has two or three dominant moves that he's going to use. And so, yeah, Will McDonald, if he can develop that second, a counter to his speed rush, again, you only need two. You only need two. Like you don't have to. And I think that was, uh, I think I was talking with Jay about this too, is Jaquan Bailey sometimes tries to have 10 moves. He wants to be the best at everything, which you only need to be, you watch, again, you watch Reggie White highlights. You watch Bruce Smith highlights. You watch Dwight Freeney highlights. You watch Michael Strahan just had a, a nasty bull rush and he had that speed, the same speed move is they have one go-to 
and they have a counter. Right. And if you're a tackle, you cannot defend both. Yeah. You can defend one or the other. And Von Miller does similar things. He's just, most of the time, he's going to get up the field, swat the hands down, and just go in any direction. Um, so it's, he, those guys are what McDonald should be shooting after because he has developed such an efficient first. He just needs a counter. Right. See, and it's, it's interesting to me. It, it creates an interesting dynamic for what you can do with the defense in the future and how you kind of can evolve it to continue to put round peg, round hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying you're going to find another guy like that because I think that, you know, by the time it's all said and done, I mean, he's it, on pace to like break the break yeah. Jaquan's record already. Right. You know, uh, I mean, dude, you're not going to find a guy like that very often. I don't think it's at least not one that's going to be coming to Iowa state mm-hmm. just based on the history of recruiting at the program. But I mean, it's like, keep in mind, Will McDonald played football for two years yeah. before he went, before he committed to Iowa state. He'd be a guy that'd be going to, cause where's he from Florida? He's from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Oh, he's from Wisconsin. So he'd be a guy that would be going to Wisconsin. To Wisconsin. To yeah. play outside linebacker, what they do in their system, which is like what TJ Watt played. Yep. JJ Watt played, you mm-hmm. know, like what those guys were doing. Uh, but that's like, if you could find, you know, like you're almost, can, you can almost see where they could go into like a traditional three, four, but you can also see why he moved back to where he did at the like defensive end, mm-hmm. you know, he always plays standing up for the most part, but mm-hmm. like where he went back to uh, playing defensive end because he, they dropped him into coverage one time. I mean, and it, and it if was had, bad. If had well, it been and, for a drop, then he would have just, it would have been him well, and, toasted. And Kansas state knows that. Yeah. Like they found the position. So I don't know if you like on that play, it was a cover zero. Look, Kansas state knows that Iowa state rarely plays cover zero. They're, they're re- very rarely going to bring the entire house and play straight up man coverage behind it. So they know that somebody's going to drop back. I'm guessing based on that, that the defense adjusts to wherever the running back is because the running back in a blitz situation like that, it's very rare. The, the running back is going to come across the quarterback because you're not going to get there. So if there's six guys and six or seven guys on the defensive line, they're going to have the offensive line full shift away from the running back. The running back, if he's going to protect, is going to go straight up the field. Iowa State, encountering that, whatever side the running back is on, whether that's Rose or the, because Mike Rose is on one side and McDonald's on the other side, they know that Rose is a much better, much, 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 much significantly volumes better in coverage than Will McDonald is. So when they got that cover zero look, uh, Thompson moved the running back to the other side, which in essence brought with the running back being away from McDonald, McDonald's a rusher and Mike Rose is a guy that drops back when they switched the, uh, the running back to the other side, McDonald becomes the guy that drops back and Rose becomes the rusher. So they put Mike Rose in a position or they, they, excuse me, they put Will McDonald in a position to have to play coverage and not rush in. And it wasn't good. I mean, he was a bear on roller skates. So the teams know, do not let this guy rush and we want to get him in coverage. But if we're talking about like general scheme that you can do, you're talking about like, again, that tradition, that more conventional three, four, where your outside linebacker is the Vaughn Millers, Clay Matthews, uh, Khalil type, Mack, Khalil yeah. Mack type. Cause Khalil Mack's technically a linebacker, but he plays 
downhand a lot. Yeah. And if he plays a stand up end as like a nine technique or a seven technique playing outside, then it's more often than not go get the quarterback with a little bit of like flat responsibility. It's, or like, little, Lawrence, it's like Lawrence Taylor. Like, exactly. I, yeah. That's what he was a pass rusher, but he was a linebacker. Right. So it's, it's that position that I think they could morph Will McDonald into, which might be one of those adjustments that they try in the, uh, you know, during the three weeks between now, three, four weeks between now and the bowl game, they're going to potentially try a look, I would guess, where McDonald plays more of a conventional 3-4 defensive end. They keep any and Peterson on the field. They keep Lima or Johnson on the field. And I don't know who the other linebacker is, whether they pull a safety off and put Eisworth at a different safety position. And then he becomes the end because that's a much more stout defense against the run because you have another big body up in the press or up in right up in space. And then Mike still plays in space. You just trade a safety for a defensive end and you just switch the coverage that you play behind it. So it's still a thing that you can do, but I think there's going to be, again, to, to bring this full circle, I think again, necessity is the father of invention or innovation that they're going to need to do something to adjust it because teams now have an MO is if you can, if Eisworth isn't healthy or if they don't have a guy like Greg Eisworth run to the edges is make and they're probably not going to run to Mike Rose's side much. They're going to run to the other C-gap because nobody over there is doing as good of a job as Eisworth did. There's, it's sort of, okay, we found it. We found the weakness in this defense. Go. So, my, Will McDonough being as good as he is, as good as he can be, I think that can be a thing that they just start to switch. And honestly, I think Blake Peterson is, would be a more natural that position than he is as a true defensive end. Blake or Zach? Zach, excuse me, the 55. Yeah, okay. I think Zach, yeah, Zach Peterson is the more, it, he is a more natural 3-4 stand-up defensive end linebacker guy than he is a true downhand defensive end. And then would, would Blake probably be more of like the true downhand Or defensive, Tucker. Yeah, or Tucker Robertson. So you'd They're have, probably closer to the same body type. Yeah, and so you have whatever this new Juco kid is as... Yeah, Latrell Bankston. The, 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 the nose. You have any as your... Um, defensive end away from that side and then you have tucker robertson as your defensive end to that side with will mcdonald or zach peterson as your three four downhand with your linebackers being maybe you put mike rose back in the box and then you have orion vance back in the box or uh, jake hummel back in the box and then you're you have you know eyesworth plays that star position a couple safeties like there's ways you can do it but i would think that that's sort of where they can morph the defense into because I think there, like I said, there is a little bit of an MO on how you can get to this Iowa State team because of what Kansas and Kansas State did and even what Oklahoma did. Like the, the back half of this season when Eisworth's not been able to play that edge position that he really needs to um, or that, that hybrid pass, or pass alignment run stopping right. spot that right. he's so good at, that's how teams have attacked Iowa State. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting and exciting to kind of play with the concept of what comes next because, you know, adapt or die. This offense, Haycock has led the world in progressive defenses. Him and Brent Venables are probably the two most innovative defensive coordinators. And what's funny is Iowa State went to Clemson this offseason to talk, right. like, to hang out with Venables and right. what is he doing versus what's Haycock, what Haycock is doing. So I think, um, yeah, I, I would expect the defense to morph away from what we, they've done the past couple of years into something new that we haven't seen. All right, I got a couple more points, and then then we'll take a break. Uh, the, it'll also be interesting, just as they continue, I think, to get better players. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the talent level will continue to rise just based on recruiting. 
what they're able to do more mm. where you can do, experiment a lot more like what Clemson can do. They've got a lot of room to experiment because they got they four get, stars, every, four or right, five stars. You're everywhere. getting real dudes. Uh, did you get an opportunity to watch Latrell Bankston's? No, I have a highlight tape. Dirty. Jay, Jay, old, old boy can move, dude. Jay has eggplant emoji. Yeah, old, old boy can move, dude. Oh my gosh! Like, and I know it's it's junior college, you know, but I mean, I well, he's the number one defensive lineman recruit in out of JUCO in the country. Yeah, I think he's actually number three. Number three. Oh, excuse, uh, excuse me. But whatever, like, yeah. top five. And uh, I mean, like I said, this dude at, at the size that he is, old boy can move. Yeah. Oh, if, he, if he can figure out how to work. Yeah. Yeah. And so just kind and of, and he, and I can already tell like from Twitter, he loves the cyclones dude. Like good. he's all in good. Uh, and I think the, the culture is established that he'll be able to carry that culture. Cause I right. think a lot of times when you gamble too hard on JUCOs, um, they're JUCO for a reason. And I don't know what that reason is, whether it's academically, whether it's, uh, maybe they just wanted to get, you know, they wanted to set out a year to do something or he was what, originally going to go to Kennesaw. Or something like that, or, or he wants to go there to develop into something else. Well, yeah. they're, they're at a JUCO for a reason. And so the work ethic at a JUCO is significantly less than the work ethic to Division One school. It's, again, it's a JUCO, not here. There's less requirements, less stakes. But if you can figure out how to work coming out of a JUCO, then that's where a lot of the talent, I mean, super talented guys are going to be able to come from there because they've already had this growing and maturing into whatever they're going to be. They just figure out how to work. And if he knows how to work, Coming out of a JUCO, that's the plug and play answer for Iowa State. And I think um, if we're spitballing what this potential fix could be, and this is again not, there's no insider information here. This is strictly off Jared and I's head. But if you're going to play a 3 4, again, with that box that we talked about before, would be Will McDonald playing that outside position, one of the Peterson or Tucker at defensive end with Zach Peterson being able to rotate into that other position, Tucker Robertson. And um, the new defender, new Latrell Bankston. Latrell Bankston as your Mike or as your nose, then I would put Mike Rose and Orion Vance inside the box. Greg Eisworth is a hybrid it's what, defender. It, the, the best com- thing I've like heard it compared to is uh, when um, is the ULM coach said the only thing he'd ever seen, like what Greg Eisworth does, is when uh, New Mexico State ran with Brian the monster with, with Brian Erlacher. Because he does everything. Yeah, because yeah. you basically, like, I mean, in college, Brian Erlacher, Erlacher was a safe, safety, air you know, quote-unquote. Like, quote uh, but that's what he did is he played that spot right behind the linebackers where he would, you know, where he would stop the run and be able to mm-hmm. defend the pass. And that's why Brian Erlacher was one of the best linebackers of all time. And he was so fast and a good in pass coverage. Yeah. They ran the Tampa 2 because Brian Erlacher was so good. But yeah. then you put Eisworth as that floating flex position. You have your safeties be 11 and 24 then yeah. behind him. And then your corners are 10 and 26. And that doesn't even, like, you didn't even mention any, you know, you don't, uh, you know. Well, I think any's in that down position. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jaquan. Oh yeah. <laughs> and know? Jaquan and be the other guy. And yeah. So it'd be Jaquan and any, and um, again, new Juco. I'm terrible at names. Yeah, Latrell Bankston, yeah. And Bankston as your three guys. Right. Will McDonald or Peterson becomes your down defensive lineman. Rose and Vance are your inside linebackers. Eisworth is your floating safety guy who can play back against pass defense and pass teams and up against run teams or whatever. Two deep safeties, two corners that are going to be playing predominantly, I would think, by going to this next year. I bet they've switched to playing a lot more man, mm-hmm. too, because Kyle and um, Anthony Johnson 
are really good man corners. I think that's that's more innately where they have their strength. Right. Is getting physical up with somebody running with them. I think that's where they're going to end up playing. So you can play more man, be more aggressive, send more pass rushes, and then your defense starts to look a little bit like the Broncos defense. Again, with Von Miller being up there and you got what uh, Chris Harris at corner and um, whoever, Aqib Tlaib, when they were really good, that other corner. And you have you can play more man coverage, be more aggressive with pass rush, and then have two physical as hell linebackers in the middle. That could be one option of what they morph into by necessity of, again, we talk about square peg core hole. Will Lincoln Riley with offense, John Haycock with defense. Yeah. What guys do we have? What do they do really, really well? And you can't tell me that Will McDonald and Zach Peterson aren't two of your best guys. Yeah. You can't no. because they are. They are. Uh, so you're going to have to get them on the field somehow. And Peterson, Owazirike, and Bailey all play the same position. So, and then McDonald plays that same position. So four of your top seven, probably seven, eight defensive players all play the same position. God help any quarterback that sees those four guys running at him. Because you imagine, again, let's, let's take a, a next year view, depending on how... Um, again, forgot the name. Totally not listening. Bankston. Bankston. So let's say Bankston uh, is, uh, he's a really good pass rusher, but he needs to take rests on true pass downs. And you put Bailey and Awazirike as your nose and a three. And then you put Peterson and McDonald as your rushers, you know, your, your third and 14 package where it's four pass rushers. You don't have to bring any other pressure because Will McDonald, Peterson, Awazirike, and Bailey are your four pass rushers. Mm-hmm. Godspeed, soldier. And then That's you, what I say. Good luck, guys. And then you know what? You, who your two linebackers are in that situation would be again Mike Rose and Ryan, and Ryan Vance. Vance. Both guys who are pretty good at rushing the passer. At rushing the passer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is my last thing. And I just realized. I thought of this. I've talked a lot about Will being like a puppy. Uh, that's like got big feet, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the golden retriever. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that the best way to put it is he's like a lion cub. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and he, you know, he's Simba. He, Will McDonald is Simba. He, and he was, right now he's in the Hakuna Matata fr- uh, phase yep, where yep. he's like kind of starting to come into his own. He's got his mane, you know, is, is really growing in. Uh, but he's still like kind of happy go lucky, like learning. Uh, and now the hope is that next year, like, you know, you, you learn a little bit more. He meets up with Rafiki, AKA, uh, Eli Rashid or, mm-hmm. uh, in, in John Haycock can be Zazu, uh, <laughs> in, in this comparison. Uh, and, and then, you know, hopefully he can turn into the guy that, uh, eventually brings down scar in the battle of pride rock, which is scar Lincoln Riley, uh, scar can be, or is it Matt rule scar is Matt rule. I feel like Scar just is like uh, is, the theoretical other is, is the is just quarterbacks. Every every Big Twelve quarterback is Scar. I prefer Matt Rule. Okay, that's that's fine. We can we can do that too. If it's like if uh, if Scar had had some sort of uh, like there was a another lion controlling Scar, you know, like back behind him, he's like this is the guy that tells Scar what to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the end of my that's analogy. A, that's, a, that's a solid analogy, though. I was going to say, didn't, didn't I put that's like, a solid that analogy. together? I've been thinking like about that. that for a long time, like waiting for the time to, to drop to that. Bring out Just, a, a not a long reference? time. like uh, 20 minutes? Yeah, five minutes. Yep. Uh, I mean, I guess that's a long time in podcast minutes. But uh, we And to, to close this before the break, the last, we didn't really talk much about the offense because, again, burn the tape. Like, yeah, it was bad. This Iowa State offense has averaged, what, 450 yards on the season and 35 points a game. Yeah. They know what they're going to do to correct it. It's play better. Like, yeah. just do 
everything better, block better, catch better, pass better, run better, like all of it to get less penalties. Everything they need to do is to do better. So I don't really have, there's not much to talk about. It was just, it was crap. It was crap football. They played. Mm-hmm. They're going to, they deserve the benefit of the doubt over the past few seasons. They're going to be fine. They're going to end up fixing whatever they need to fix because they've done it again consistently for the entire season outside of this game. And I'd say Iowa, or excuse me, Northern Iowa, Northern Iowa, they move the ball, but like there are very few select games throughout here that they didn't play really well. So I don't know. I'm, I'm there's, there's not much to the offense that I'm really drastically concerned with. They'll get it figured out. Right. Okay. Uh, after the break, I want to talk kind of a broad view of college football. Uh, you know, just the, as we go into this championship weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I want to tell you too, why I think I'm living in sports fan purgatory. I want to explain why I think I'm, I'm, I, I have sinned. And I, it, somewhere along the lines, the sports gods have put me into purgatory. That's a tease right there. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we come back on Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Carl Chevrolet Studios. I thought that was a very productive conversation that we just had. Especially out of the dud of a game that that was. Yeah. We, I think that was a, I think that was some high level conversation, but uh, turning the page a little bit different, changing gears. I mentioned before the break, I think I'm living in sports fan purgatory. So do explain. I think the, that 2019 might be the peak of this. Uh, It starts with Iowa state basketball goes to Kansas city. It's like every time something good happens, it always comes crashing down, like in an ultimate heap, you know, and I can't find true sports fan happiness. (laughs) It's, it is, it doesn't allow me to, to have it. Uh, it starts with Iowa State basketball where they go to Kansas City, win the Big 12 ty- uh, tournament championship, uh, then go to Tulsa. Lay an egg. Lay an egg, get beat by Ohio State. Then uh, the Sixers are playing as well as anybody. I'm a Sixers fan. Joel Embiid's my guy. Uh, they push the eventual NBA champion Toronto Raptors to a game seven in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And Kawhi Leonard hits one of the... A miracle. A, a miracle shot over two seven footers that hits the rim five million times roughly estimation uh, literal count yeah literal count uh five million times uh and rolls in to beat the sixers in that game and end their season uh now every time one of my teams which everybody would know is obviously Iowa state and then nebraska in recent years they lose a very close game in some way that is just like it. They let you think like, Hey, we're going to do it this time. We're going to do it this time. And then they lose to Iowa every freaking time. You know what I think the cause of it is? You're a Nebraska fan. Well, this can't, I don't know what I could have done. I wasn't hardly even alive when Nebraska was really good. See all the, all of the, the, am I paying for the sins of my fathers? You are all the cosmic successes or all the cosmic good juju Nebraska didn't pace themselves over the course of history. They spent all their success between like 1980 and 2001. Well, they, um, they did win two national champions in the 70s. Excuse, so, so, so back to, back so to, to a, Johnny Rogers. Back basically to, a 30-year span. So a 30-year yeah. span, they spent all of the good juju that they'll ever have in that 30 years. And they're, they're out of it. They're out. The tank's on empty. They got to recharge a lot. Well, so and There's another 40 years of recharging before they're going to be good again. Okay, but that's fine. 
then even anytime Iowa State like starts to show getting ranked, you know, or anything like that, or they uh, you know get ranked highly, or they're really playing well, then the next game we have Oklahoma State, or we have the you know they come back against Oklahoma, lose on two point conversion. You know, it's like I cannot find true happiness, Jeff. I it it continues to slip out of my grasp. It always has for my entire life. I think it will. In and, time. I, and I don't know. And like I said, why am I the one that they picked to have to pay for the sins of my fathers? Why is it me? Why, why do I have that? Anything tangentially associated with the Huskers gets this, this, this uh, kiss of death. I, I just, I don't, I don't understand. I don't like, understand. Why, why would, uh, you know, what, some, do, what now, what do I do to, how, how do I get out of it? Sacrifice your allegiance. That was the first time I'd been to a Nebraska game in two years. So, and it was dis- just as disappointing as you remember. Oh yeah, no, it was. I walked out of there. I it was so crazy. So I was walking. I went to the game with my mom, and my sister. I mean, I you know, like every, mm-hmm. I think yep. most people know that I I grew up going to games in Lincoln. I mm-hmm. went to my first game when I was three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is just something that for a long time we had done. I'm walking out of there like, why do I even do my do this to myself? You know, why do I knew I knew what was going to happen. Open myself up to be hurt. I knew what was going to happen. I told Chris before the game, before I even left Clarinda to go to the game, I said they're either going to win or they're going to lose in heartbreaking fashion. That's the, there's only two options, and uh, they um, and I'm walking out and I I was like formulating this sports purgatory thing in my mind. I'm like I I just know that this is where I live. That in my punishment is to constantly watch. My teams lose in ridiculous fashion and to add, Iowa. Add the Vikings to that. Add the Vikings. You know, add, whoever. Add anything. Anything that I support. They're probably gonna. They're probably gonna lose somehow in some ridiculous way. But uh, as I'm walking out, I see a guy's walking in front of me, sweatshirt, um, and it says, "Why do you deserve hell?" Or uh, let me let me tell you why you deserve hell. And I was like. Maybe this is my savior. <laughs> Maybe this is the guy right here that can tell me why I am living in this, in this state of constant athletic disappointment. Constant. I can never find it, 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 happiness when it comes to athletics are fleeting. Did you, why did I choose this profession? Did you ask this prophet anything about your fate? See, I was scared that if I did, he was going to tell me like why I deserve to go to real hell. And yeah, I, that yeah, was no, nobody wants that. And that was not, nobody and that, that just wasn't a Pandora's box as I felt like opening at that moment. Uh, he seemed, but it was really funny because he seemed like an interesting character. He has this shirt on and then he's also uh, walking back to his car, uh, criticizing every single thing that happened in the football game and why all of these guys suck. And I was like, man, this is a, this is a guy you don't want to have a beer with. Right. I, I, was, I can already tell that I don't want to have any conversations with this. And it's like the guy that shows up on campus at Iowa State that stands in the free speech zone with this sign that talks about sex and yep. drugs and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And why everybody drinking, like why everybody's going to uh, why everybody's going to hell. Clearly an effective medium. Yeah. One day we were sta- doing our radio show and he was over there walking around with his sign back and forth before before the show and i could not stop looking at it him like yelling at people why they're which pushes to people hell. totally in the opposite direction yeah at that point i'm standing there thinking like man you have there's some screws loose up there you know 
like for you to be out here doing this right now. You are an interesting individual. We really went down a rabbit hole here. Yeah, but okay, that's but that's what it was. Is I, I'm walking out and it felt like a sign from the sports gods, like that. Why are you in hell? That I saw this. Why am I in hell? And I, I thought about it for a long time. I thought about it the whole weekend. What it's anything? It's like telling. It's just cosmic energy directed towards Nebraska. It's all gone. It's not my fault that some guys like to break the law and they won a lot of games anyway. It's not my fault. I wasn't, I wasn't even conscious. Now it's a problem you have to live with. (sighs) I just, I don't. Okay. Whatever. Fair enough. I, uh, but why does it have to happen to the Sixers then? Or like, because or Iowa state basketball, I I can understand that one. I I can understand the Nebraska one. I think just you being part of the, the Cornhusker nation in some, again, tangential aspect has tainted everything else. So in other words, I need to tell, I need to tell my parents, well, my mom to completely spurn her alma mater yep. and say like, you need to cut all ties. No, you do. I do. You do. You need to sacrifice a baby goat. Do I need to cut ties with my family as yep. well? Everything. Well, it was nice how knowing, bad, it was how nice bad knowing you, you guys. How bad do you want How it, bad do I want it? How bad do I want to have, find escape, happiness from escape athletics? Escape purgatory. Yeah. Like, but I was just, I was walking thinking like, man, maybe I should just like change professions. Like, Because you're always going to be associated exactly with Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I can't, I can't run away from sports. Uh, so maybe I could just like go and write about politics. Like maybe I could find happiness in I politics. don't think that's gonna, I think that's a wrong direction. Uh, I, I told I think my mom. Think, I think that would make things worse. I told my mom that I could go and write about uh, the theater. There you like go. Maybe I'll become a theater critic. There you go. Or something That'd like that. Fun. No one's ever been disappointed by the theater. Yes, they have. Or, yeah. Yes, they have. But I think to bring the, I think, because I think the listeners do, t- between now and bowl announcement, I think are probably concerned, not necessarily concerned, what to watch, what to be looking for, what to be yeah. sort of expecting. Um, the, again, why am I the one bringing us back on track? What happened? Because I'm just, I'm depressed. What happened? I'm sports fan depressed. This is therapy. This is like my therapy. Um, so this is a lot cheaper than therapy. The way I'm going <laughs> to, you get paid to do it. Yeah. Um, so the, the way that bowl selections go, I think this is be a, at least a little bit illuminating for those that are listening, that are, are some are familiar, some are not familiar. Um, the way bowl selection goes now. So if you are not involved in like the conference championship hunt, you sort of just have to wait for everything else to shake out. So the Big 12 bowls that are, are in pecking order that are specifically associated with the Big 12 are first the Alamo Bowl, which is in San Antonio. Well, te- technically first the Sugar Bowl. Well, yeah. Of, of pure association, regardless of... Uh, whomever, regardless of winning percentage, there's always going to be somebody associated with the Alamo bowl. There's always going to be, which is number one. Number two is the camping world bowl in Orlando. Number three is the Academy sports and outdoors bowl in uh, Houston. Number four is Liberty bowl in Memphis. And number five is the cheese it bowl in Phoenix. It's a great location, terrible bowl name. So that one, two, three, four, five, those are your specifically allotted big 12 slots. If there are five big 12 teams that are bowl eligible, but none of them are good enough to make anything else, you're guaranteed those five for sure. Then the one that is above that as like a 0.5 is the sugar bowl, which is the big light and likely in order to become the big 12 champion, you're good enough to become it's, in this. It's guaranteed to be, to go to the big 12 champion, uh, 
unless, unless someone goes to the playoff. Right. Or so, if it is one of the playoff bowls. Right. So going to the Sugar Bowl is a 0.5. So it's assumed that it's going to be there, but there's a chance that it doesn't exist if the, you know, if let's say the champion of the conference is Oklahoma and they're 12 and 0 and they've beaten everybody by 35 points and the second place team is like 8 and 4 or something well, like that. Well, and Texas then, went last year. They were they were a three-loss team last year, I believe. But that's what I'm saying. They went because they were the number 2. Big right, but they teams. were still good enough to qualify for that. Okay. If the, if yeah. the, the, you, you probably know. have to be in a certain spot in the rankings or right. something. So yeah. you have to have like a certain qualification okay. to okay. get yeah. in there. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that's, that's my assumption. Yeah. Um, so it's a 0.5. It's, it's, it's almost assumed that you're going to get there, which that knocks everybody else down a peg. So that makes Alamo, the Alamo Bowl from number one to number two. And that makes the Sugar Bowl number one. Then there's one that supersedes all of it, which is the playoff, which knocks everybody down even one more peg if the team from your conference gets into the playoff which is why Iowa State went to the Alamo Bowl right. last year is because right. they got bumped up a peg from Oklahoma getting in the playoff. Now, I don't think a Big 12 team is deserving of going to the playoff other than Baylor. I don't think Oklahoma deserve, deserves to make it there. Even though Oklahoma beat Baylor, it was on a last-second miracle. They've lost one game. Baylor's lost one game, and it was that one. If they beat Oklahoma, they would have more of a shot, in my mind, or more be deserving to getting in there. But I think the committee votes on names. So Oklahoma has a much better shot of getting into the Big 12, or into the, the top four. Because your top four, as we look at it right now, for, the, for Iowa State's sake, and this is, I'm going to make my case for potentially wanting to to no offense to Liberty Bowl, but we've been there enough. I would, to go anywhere other than Liberty Bowl, this is my case for what, what I'm rooting for. So the three teams that are currently in one, two, and three in any particular order when the rankings come out are going to be LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. Those three, you want to win. You don't, we want as few surprises as possible uh, for Iowa State to not go to Memphis. And again, no offense to Liberty Bowl. I just don't personally want to go there again. So one, two, and three, you want them to stay there. Because if, let's say, Wisconsin pulls off the upset against Ohio State, as unlikely as it may be, that means either Ohio State still has to get voted despite being a conference champion in, and then do you exclude Wisconsin, which puts them into another, uh, this kind of purgatory light of do both teams get in, do neither team get in, or more, the more likely case is if Georgia beats LSU. Wisconsin's not getting in. They, they uh, have two losses. So, but then, yeah, but then does Ohio State get in there, and then you yeah, bump yeah. them It'll out, and then does Georgia get in, or in. Yeah. whoever, somebody else. So... If Georgia beats LSU, there's a likelihood that both of those teams still get in. So those three teams, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, you want them all to win, to, to get as little question as possible as those ones. Uh, then in the Pac-12, in order to keep Oklahoma out, Utah needs to win. Mm -hmm. If Oklahoma beats Baylor, they have put themselves in the position to get into the, the final four. I, I don't think that Baylor's got enough name clout, even though their one loss is to Oklahoma. It's a really good loss. Right. I don't think they have enough name. They, they're not going to do it. The, the playoff committee is not going to take a gamble on a name like that. See, but here's, if I was going to, my, if I was going to rebut that, I would say that if they avenge their one loss, if they avenge their one loss and Utah loses to two loss, Oregon, well, if, in the so championship if, if Utah game. loses the big 12 champ is in. Yeah. That's pretty what much, I was gonna pretty say. much guaranteed. If Utah but, loses, that's a two loss conference champion in the pac 12. The other three of the power fives have already gotten their champion in, assuming those three go well, right. then a one loss champion between Baylor and Oklahoma would guarantee to be in. Right. So right now I think the pecking order is Utah, Oklahoma, Baylor, 
whoever else. It, it doesn't, doesn't get past doesn't that. Matter, it doesn't no, get past doesn't that. Matter. So if Utah wins, they're the fourth team based on the rankings that they have shown throughout the rest of the season. And a lot of times the existing week on week rankings will flip overhand, which I actually like the way that the committee does it is they don't project forward. They don't say this is what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. It's as of the games that they have played, excuse me, I keep bumping that can as of the games that they have played and the game that they just played, this is who we think the best teams are. Which also doesn't make sense because that makes it hard to justify the way they've ranked Alabama at certain times this season. But that's uh, neither here nor there. They will also, this is one thing I don't like, is they will take names into account of it. So Alabama having been Alabama. But they have two losses now, Alabama's out of it. There's no chance they get in the playoff. So they say that Georgia, other than that one loss, they have been the fourth best team. But once Georgia plays LSU, you can assume a loss, but they're not going to you can basically take Georgia if LSU beats them and pluck them behind whoever's behind them, behind the other people. But they've consistently rated Utah over Oklahoma and Baylor, which means up to this point, they have been the better team. It's very unlikely that the Big 12 teams supersede them to jump over Utah if Utah wins a conference championship because they value conference championships. So that would be your four, is if Utah wins and the other three we talked about win. That would mean it would be crazy if the if after what three years of not having a team in the playoff, the team that makes it is Utah. Right. Well, the, yeah, Oregon was the first was when Mariota they, they was in there the first playoff, and then uh, and then Washington went one year. Right. Right. With uh, Browning. With Browning. Um, so those are going to be your four teams, which means Oklahoma or the whoever the Big Twelve champ is becomes the first the Sugar Bowl team. Then the next team is guaranteed to go to the Alamo Bowl because that is the second available slot now. Right. Because Sugar Bowl is number one. Alamo is now effectively number two in the rest pack after that. So Oklahoma to the Sugar Bowl or Big 12 champs to Sugar Bowl, other one of the Alamo Bowl. Then I, or Iowa State is in a four-team heap, which essentially it's pick which one you want. Yep. They're all lining up on the wall in the same. The dodgeball, team, the dodgeball captain is going to pick whichever one they want. The next pecking order is, is Orlando. Orlando, looking at those four, Texas draws the biggest eyes. So it, even though they probably won't travel near as well as Iowa State or Kansas State, Texas is the big name. That will draw the eyeballs on TV. That's what they want. So they're going to probably, the first pick off the board is going to be Texas. Houston is the next one to pick. Oklahoma City is drivable to Houston. Oklahoma State then becomes the most viable option. Again, even though, logically speaking, Iowa State and Kansas State will travel better than Oklahoma State will. There's more passion behind those two fan bases, but they're probably going to get picked. Houston will take Oklahoma State because this is, again, my projection, that because it's, again, a drivable distance, they figure more of the Texas and Oklahoma crowd of Oklahoma State fans are going to go down to that game. So it's going to be better attended. Then that leaves the Liberty Bowl to pick between Kansas State and Iowa State. And this is where Iowa State is kind of in this catch-20, not necessarily catch-22. Kansas State went to the Liberty Bowl in 2016. Iowa State went in 2017. Iowa State also went in 2012. Both teams traveled huge to that bowl game, but they've been there recently. So it's not the greatest pick for the Liberty Bowl to choose between. But because the Liberty Bowl has had a has the the precedence over the the Cheez It Bowl, the one in Phoenix, uh, it, it it behooves them to take the team that won because they have in order to solidify their standing as the superseding bowl, right. they would need to take the team higher in the rankings. And when you're left between those two options, Kansas State just won. And again, both teams have been there recently, so kind of wash that off the board. Kansas State just beat Iowa State, so I think they played themselves into that game. So that, in my mind, means Liberty Bowl, if I'm on their committee, 
in, in order to hold my status of not picking a, lo- a lesser team and then having the Phoenix Bowl in years past or in the seceding years flip and become the primary choice. Because if they go, okay, well, you're going to take the worst team anyway, you can move down in the rankings. So I would say Liberty Bowl, it would behoove them to not take Kansas State, which leaves Iowa State as the last team picked, but that sends them to Phoenix. That's the way that I would think it happens. Now, if, reverse this situation, if Utah loses to Oregon and the Pac-12 takes themselves out of the playoffs, the winner of the Big 12 is in, and that bumps everybody up one slot, the the pecking order still stays the same because Kansas State beat Iowa State. They are of the final two. They're going to be the ones that are off the board. And then Iowa State, by default, will go to the Liberty Bowl. So, again, to, to make the case of not Memphis, it would be you want Utah to win to keep Oklahoma out to bump everybody down so Iowa State can get to Phoenix. That is my analysis of where the, my rooting interests are, is to increase the chance of Iowa State going to Phoenix. Because also, selfishly, I love that city. So I would love to go down to Phoenix personally. So if they went to the Jesus Bowl, the Cheez It Bowl, I'm looking at the, I'm pulling up the Pac-12 standings, um, because, yeah, I don't think that they have Again, enough teams, uh, bowl eligible, and especially if they get, assuming if a they get one in the, the playoff, because the playoff. under the situation that Iowa State gets to Phoenix, Utah is in the playoff. Do you know who that they would end up playing? Air Force. If, if, no, they would if uh, if Utah makes the playoff, yep. they would likely play Washington State. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> six and six Washington State. Hmm. Not quite the same as last year. Mike Leach, but, Washington. Well, it's still Mike Leach, Washington State. It's no yeah. Gardner Minshew. But I think a little revenge in Phoenix would be fun. Yeah. I would be cool with that. Uh, but otherwise, it would probably be someone from the Mountain West, which, which would suck. Like I said, it would be like Air Force. Yeah. And Air Force is actually a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. They're one, they were right there in contention to be the, the group of five team for a little while. Mountain West is a good league. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of what, what it's looking like right now. I would prefer if they could play a Power 5 team, though. Yeah, but I think bowl games, like I said. Even if you go to Liberty Bowl, you probably don't, though. So. Well, you'd be like Kentucky. Yeah. It'd be a team from the oh, SEC. Yeah. yeah. Like a, a, Did a, you see the way they played on Saturday? Yeah, they run the ball real well. Oh, my goodness. What, a, what an offense. But I, th- two passes. I, I think the Bulls going forward, I think what Iowa State is going to be doing is on defense tinkering with what new things they can try. Yeah. Of can they put Peterson or um, McDonald in a true three, four outside linebacker position? And they might not do it in the game, but I bet they do it in like practice of seeing what we can try and what we can do differently because it's an exhibition. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even count towards your redshirt status. Redshirts can play. So you can do anything you want and you can throw guys in there that just are trying to get snaps. You can throw guys in there that you're redshirting. Like Colin Newell could play if he isn't, I don't know if he's trying to get a medical or not, but like you could do whomever, like you put whoever in the game. So I would think it's going to be more of a tinker. I really don't care who they play. To me, it comes down to the destination um, more than anything. And I think Phoenix to me is a better destination than Memphis just because one, I like Phoenix and two, we've been to Memphis twice in seven years. And I don't think it will travel near as well yeah. as it has been in the past. And I also think if the case would be made, Kansas State is much more hyped about their season than Iowa State is right now. So the, the travel is probably going to be better from Kansas State to Memphis because they're jazzed about getting this higher bowl game. Personal Pac- thought. The Pac-12 standings are, are honestly quite remarkable. The team that finished second in the Pac-12 is not bowl eligible. Or in the Pac-12 North is not bowl eligible. They Which just is? like all like 
they all just eviscerated each other, just tore each other apart. Uh, Oregon State finished five and seven. They went four and five in the Pac-12 to finish second place because Oregon they is- had the tiebreakers over Cal and Washington. Yeah, uh, but then like, like the second, so like the second place in the Pac-12 North was four and five, and then three and six. They tied for three and six for the for they just beat each other last up. place. Yeah, it's like the Big Twelve North back in the day. Right, exactly, and it's like eight and one Utah, and then seven and two USC. And then everybody else is either is or the next two are four and five Arizona State and UCLA, and then Colorado is three and six and Arizona is two and seven. Like it's just straight, straight kill each other. Yeah, completely. No wonder they can't get a team in the playoff. They just beat each other up. Right. So I to round it out, I would is, expect. Give me your, here, give me your prediction. What do you think will be the four teams? I think the four teams that are going to be in. I think Utah beats. Oregon, I think, because in a battle of defense, I think Utah's is better. They're both be really, a very good game. It's going to be a very good. I think of all the conference championships, the SEC and the Pac-12 are going to be the best games. Right. Uh, of I, I guess I should say the best football between the two of them cumulatively. I think the Big 12. I honestly don't think either one of the teams deserve to be in that top four. I don't think they're one of the top four best teams, right? Baylor or Oklahoma. I think the Pac-12 and the SEC are the two. Team A and Team B combined are the best. So I think th- those two games are going to be really good. So I think. All, I think it's a sweep. The only one that I have a little bit of nervousness with is Georgia over LSU, but I think LSU is good enough and they know what's on the table yeah. that they're, that LSU beats Georgia. So I think one to four, one to three is Georgia, Ohio State. LSU, you mean? Or excuse me, LSU, sorry. LSU, Ohio State, um, and then Clemson as your three. And then number four, once Utah beats Oregon, is Utah, which trickles everything down. And I think Iowa State gets to Phoenix. I that, actually, would, that would be both my expectation and my hope. So yeah. that might be tainted by a little bit of optimism. Um, but I think, again, logistically, I think to, the Liberty Bowl is going to be hands tied, have to pick Kansas State. By the time they get down there, it's deciding between two teams. You can't, you're not going to take Iowa State over Kansas State when Kansas State just won. Yeah. Yeah, and I I would probably pick the, the same four. I think that the only teams that could potentially lose and still get in would be Ohio State and LSU. LSU, LSU would be in, is, is in regardless unless the only way they're not is if Georgia just killed them, kills them, if yeah. it's beats them like 42 to seven, which I which is find very hard gonna, to believe. Yeah, not going to happen. Yeah, the, that's the only way that LSU falls out. Ohio State isn't going to lose. They're going to beat Wisconsin by three touchdowns. But they if they were to, they're still in Clemson, probably. But there there is a five percent chance. And that's a in a conference championship game, I think. Ohio State's like a 10% chance of like a 90% chance of winning. Clemson's like a 95% chance of winning. LSU's like a 60. So they're, they're still likely to win, but Georgia is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're without DeAndre Swift. He got hurt. And they're without that stupid wide. Re- I don't want to say he is stupid. The wide receiver that took a stupid action against the Georgia Tech wide receiver. They're up 52 to 7. He swung at him and tried to throw him into a wall and is now out for the first half of the SEC championship game. Did you see the brawl between Nevada and UNLV? No, I did not. Remarkable. Well, no, not remarkable. Horrendous, a terrifying situation. Uh, One of the all time great sports brawls, I think. I'm gonna, I'm gonna YouTube that. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Uh, But yeah, I I think that it'll end up being LSU. This is one year where I really think that, then this is like, we'll wrap this up after this. This is the one year where I truly think since the playoff has started, I think there is, in my mind, I sit there and I'm like, I feel like I know who the two best teams are right now. LSU and Ohio State. Yeah. Clemson would give them a shot. I I really do think that if Utah wins, 
because of how good their defense is and has been. That'd be a really great matchup between them and LSU. Yeah, it's it. That'd be physical on physical. Um, I think Ohio State Clemson would be a marquee matchup. I think those are your teams. I, That'd be a fun playoff. I think if Oklahoma gets in, they get run out of the gym by anybody they play, mm-hmm. just because they, their defense isn't good enough. Jalen Hurts would keep them in a game, yeah. relatively speaking. Burrow would tear them apart. Though. Burrow would tear absolutely tear them apart. Uh, everything that Ohio State has to offer would tear them apart. Uh, Travis Etienne would run for three hundred yards yeah. in, against Oklahoma. So you're, you're, I think your four best teams are if Utah wins, they prove that they are in that top four. I think it's a pretty clear, again, I think Baylor's better than Oklahoma. If Baylor gets in, they have a much better shot of the, against the other three just by how they play. I think they'd hang around, but I don't but think their offense, I don't think their offense no. is good. Their defense is good enough to match up with those other teams, but I don't think their offense is no. good enough to. No. Um, so I think those are your clear best four. And I think if you pecking order the rest out, if that happens, Iowa State getting to Phoenix to me is the most logical option just because again, by the time you get there, Liberty Bowl is going to have to pick between Kansas State who just won and Iowa State who just lost in your two or your two options. I, I think again, it behooves the, the, it behooves them not to pick Kansas State. Isn't that where, where y'all won the inside bowl in 2009? In Phoenix? Yeah. Yeah. And t- well, that was Tempe. I think they play Okay, yeah, they play tr- they, they play at Chase Field. Yeah, so they the play truly play. in Phoenix. Yeah. So I I yes. It, but that town is really cool. Like I said, I th- I've that been would to Phoenix, I just can't remember. My that, grandma lives down there. That would be a great trip to me. And again, Memphis would be fine if we hadn't been there twice in seven years. You run, there's not enough stuff to do for three trips in a decade. I'm just upset because I was ready to go to Disney World, Jeff. I'm sorry. Would you have gone to Disney World with me or Probably. Harry Potter World? Probably. I'd go to Harry Potter World for we, sure. I think we would have had a lot. We, we would have like made some content out of us at Harry Potter Being World. Harry Potter World. Going all out, just like <laughs> walking around uh, in robes. Yes. Wizard robes. I would 100% do that. We could still do that in Phoenix. It's just weirder. Or in <laughs> Memphis. It's just weirder. In <laughs> Harry Potter robes. Uh, I was supposed to go to Orlando. My plane went in the wrong direction. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Thanks, man, for, uh, for coming in. I think this was a good podcast. I, I feel like we got a lot accomplished today. Yep. I think next opt- week we can talk about the all decade team because it can. comes out next Monday morning. We can talk about the all decade team. We can talk about what, uh, what to look forward to in the playoff and, and in the bowl game, in the bowl game where we actually know where it's going, going to be. That's the cyclone fanatic trip that is going to end up taking down there. We'll have much more subs- substance to it. Once we know where it's going to be, yeah. when the, when the game's going to be, um, so that the trip that is going to be planned by cyclone fanatic purchasable, um, is right now we don't know where it's going to be what time it is so there's not a lot of details yet yeah but by the time next podcast rolls around we'll have we will have much more idea of what that's going to be and i think you guys can you can find it on our social media where where you can sign up to get immediate notification of that once we have details uh like i said i don't know what the link is off the top of my head but it's on the cycle fanatic twitter it's all kinds of different places that, that you'll be able to find it so thanks for listening everybody we hope you have a, a great week we hope you enjoy what should be a really fun weekend of football. We'll talk to you guys again next Monday. Peace.